This is Queer Histories, Queer Futures, presented by Last Call, a podcast about queer resistance in New Orleans and the people behind the movement. I'm Free For All. And I'm Lane Kaplan-Levinson. Hey, Lane. Hey, Free. Uh, what, how, what's that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I feel the exact same yeah. way. <laughs> Well, that's probably because I'm about to ask you about something that you know a little bit about. You're an East Coaster. Mm. Uh, This is the city of Boston. Do you have anything you want to tell us about the city of Boston? Not really. No. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same. No. (laughs) I actually went to college outside of Boston in a town called Waltham in Massachusetts. Say that again. Waltham. Waltham. W-A-L-T-H-A-M. That's an incredibly New England name. Waltham. 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 Um, you had to take the old, the ye old commuter rail to get into Harvard Square. Uh, Harvard. <laughs> the worst accent. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. I will say, I, I have not met someone who's worse at accents and impressions than me. It's actually ridiculous. I cannot do a single impression. Oh, no, just, here, let's hear a um, little bit of... <laughs> okay, try I'm telling you. It's... Here, here, let's let's hear. And you're really good at impressions. I'm I'm not. I'm just really insistent. But let's do. <laughs> let's hear a little bit of an English accent for the rest of this description, please. I, I can't. I'm telling you. Oh come on, you can do it. It doesn't have to be good. I really can't. Re- <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. It's not in my repertoire. Oh, that wasn't bad at all. Okay, okay, okay. Anyway, Boston is, uh, a, you know, a great city. People live there. People love it. People visit. People put on incredible performances there. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also say that Boston does have some cool uh, queer corners that still exist. Indeed. To make a plane is a neighborhood in Boston that's still really uh, queer friendly and, and prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. Boston's cool. Boston, Boston has a lot going on, and it's been a hub for um, queer and women's organizing for a long time. Yeah, yeah, totally. I have this weird thing where I went to school like nine miles outside Boston and still feel like I really don't know it. Like I didn't actually get to know it. I didn't spend that much time there. I also don't know the city that well. I've been there sometimes and um, had various experiences. Mm-hmm. But um, Indy Mitchell and Bonnie Gable have been traveling there a fair amount over the last year, collecting more stories of dyke bars, and it's so exciting. So we have a piece now that's highlighting these stories um, and kind of kicking off the the travel that we have coming up to perform ALA, Alleged Lesbian Activities, yeah. in you Boston to start to yeah. this yourself? April um, in just a couple weeks. Okay, let's hear it. Hi, I'm Liz from Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, I'm Shani Dowd. I'm 73. My name is Rochelle Goldberg-Ruthchild. I came to Boston in 1969 
My name is Vicki Levins Gabriner. Yes, my name is Danny Harris. My name is Yanni Beto. Hi, my name is Sharon Pritchett, and um, I'm uh, 69 years old. I was born and raised in Boston. So I'm Pam Chamberlain. <laughs> oh. ah. And I live in Cambridge. I'm 70 years old. Um, I identify as a lesbian. I use she, her, and hers. Sweet Mickey B right here. Sweet Mickey B. Sweet Mickey B. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Helen Bottom. Where are you from, Miss Helen? I'm from Lowell, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And what's your name? Right here, Boston. Boston. Mm -hmm. Okay. What did the bars mean to you? What? Why were they important? Fun, to you all? just fun. 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 Yeah, it was, it was totally a social party. Woohoo! Kind of thing when we went out. Yeah, because we used to work so hard. So hard, you know. Because mm -hmm. um, it was like finally I work. let your hair down. Yeah, and just be yourself. Yeah, be yourself, a hundred percent. The men, the women, whatever. We just enjoyed ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you consider the bars as a safe space? Yeah, definitely. That was one of the purposes of them. You go to a new city and you, you know, that's where you go to make some connections and to find out what was going on. Can you just like ask people like, where's the dike bar? <laughs> no, you say in, in Cleveland, you say, okay, where's the dike bar in Indianapolis? <laughs> uh, okay, okay, like before you, like pre-planning. I understand. <laughs> the one in Maine, you know, there was one in Maine. And it was outside Augusta, which was the capital. And mm -hmm. you just had to know which one of those road houses was. And how did you know that? You had to talk to some other lesbians. And how did you find them? Well, you, you went to the bar in Boston and asked about it. Mm -hmm. Or you showed up someplace where there were other lesbians in in Maine, like you went to somebody's house that you knew, and then you'd ask them, oh, what's happening? Mm -hmm. The bar was exercise and family. I mean, if I were to give just <laughs> a blanket answer, and I say it all the time, exercise or exorcism, I got you something, I got you you know, but it was all the same. It was it was my exercise where it kept me fit. It was my exorcism where it kept my mind together and, and, and helped me release some of the negatives. Um, the bar was, after a while, for a while, a place where my friends became family. Um, like I said, one of my friends, she's my son's godmother. My son's 25. And, She's his godmother, so that tells you how long this is. This is a thing. So it was. It was. It was my safe haven. Outside of the bars, where were other spaces that you could meet lesbians, or the I lesbians were gathering? I'd broken up with someone, and I needed like new friends. So I immediately joined a political group <laughs> and joined a softball team. 
Oh, it was softball. So, it was so predictable. <laughs> I forget about the sports. Yeah, and that worked just fine. I made a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was in the Somerville League. We were a terrible team. We were called the ERA for the Equal Rights Amendment. Oh, yeah, sports. That was a big one. Nice. I forget about sports. I came to Boston in 1969, uh, and this was one of the centers of the women's liberation movement. And there were two major organizations then, Female Liberation and Bread and Roses. So I just started uh, getting involved with both organizations in the early 70s. And I did, I wasn't a lesbian when I first came to Boston. Um, So in time, I came out um, and had, a number of women lovers and through them started going to the bars. And at that time, there, as I recall, there weren't in Boston any specifically lesbian bars, but there were um, gay bars. And the one that we went to the most was Jacques. I mean, for me, it was like, oh my God, this place is really wild. with uh, drag queens, lesbians of all sorts, uh, gay men. And then there, were, then there was Jocks, the infamous Jocks. Have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Jocks was a, um, a mixed bar. It had the drag queens downstairs, and upstairs was um, men and women, mostly women. Um, and across the street, there was a bar called The Other Side that was a little bit more upscale. Uh, they had a piano, piano in the, when you went in, there was a piano with a person singing. And in the back room, there was dancing. So, um, you know, by, by now I'm 21, I'm legal. Um, so um, I had a good time in there. When I came out, I was wearing three pieces. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we select a dress. I never ever even put on a pair of jeans. Three piece like pantsuits? Oh, yeah. Talking about no, like no, slacks I'm, and oh, all. Yeah. No, Staying alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know I, I was, you know that outfit? You know that outfit? 70s. Very similar. Because of my job, I was wearing skirts. Yeah, I had a professional job. Oh, so you had the three piece skirt suit? I had this skirt suit. Oh. Uh, you know, I was young. Yeah. Yeah. And all those women in the jury, the perfume, the whole bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even when they were not about the fans. Even her cigarettes were, were fancy. Uh, her cigarettes were fancy? I had a cigarette holder on. Oh, 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 cool. I still have the cigarette case. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, and I had a cigarette holder. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, uh, oh, uh, 
the jewelry. Uh huh. And 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 uh, the guy, 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 Okay, I introduced me to Danny. Okay. And Danny started taking me to the, the different, different the gay Well, he was taking what the was in the beginning, though. I went to the gay bar, the men gay bars. Oh, there were plenty of men's places. Always. Oh, yeah. Only two or three women's, you know. Yeah, it was very hard to find women's bar. So there was preludes. Cavernous. I think it was an elite before. Elites. Elites. Somewhere. Later in the years it became somewhere else. The Saints. The Saints. Saints. Plus seventy. Twelve seventy. And the Marquis. The Marquis. The Marquis. Indigo. 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 Club Indigo. Mostly we met in the bar. There was didn't there wasn't any prearranged I don't think. It's hard for me to remember some of these details because it was back in the Sixties and seventies. Do you remember the the first bar you ever went into? The first dyke bar. Yeah. Um, would have to be Cavernous. Yeah. Um, that was it was a small room, mm-hmm. small, and it had a jukebox, and um, it was mostly white, mostly older people. You go by yourself. Yes. I didn't know any gay people. <laughs> I did have a girlfriend, um, and she told me about the spark of Venice. Um, I didn't go in there much because I, I really didn't like it. Um, but it was a place where I could go and not be harassed and, you know, look at the ladies. Um, so, um, uh, Why didn't you like it? I, uh, it was small. It was kind of foreign to me. Maybe I don't know. Um, and it, it was just a jukebox. It was kind of sad to tell you the truth, because it was so quiet. And even though there was a jukebox, it wasn't. People weren't dancing except for the to the slow records. And I don't know. It, I, I still don't get a good feeling about it. Um, everyone knew it was more connected. Um, how did that information travel? <laughs> it's just it was just there. You know, when they had bouncers that were men um, that looked like they belonged to the mob. <laughs> that you know, come to as I'm saying that, there were not a lot of um, fights or anything like that. Um, I maybe got into one fight over in the other side because somebody um, called me a nigger and I didn't like that so I fought them <laughs> and that turned into a um, people rushed me um, and put me on the ground and I thought I used my feet um, and um, I didn't get barred they used to bar people that have fights in there but um, for, the, for the most part it was pretty safe Probably because of the bouncers that were outside of both jocks and the other side. So. So you said someone called you nigger at the bar. Were there like other, 
Like, was that like the only time it happened? Or was that it, was like, that was the only time it happened. Yeah. Do you feel like there was other like weird like racial tensions? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Um, um, especially in Havana's, which is probably why I didn't like it. Um, but um, you know, for the for the most part, people you know might have looked at you funny, but that's as far as it went. You know, people don't didn't call each other names, or you know, people kind of stayed with their own little groups. It it was obvious in that way. Like mostly, there wasn't any mixing. Once in a while, you would see a white person with a black clique, or the or vice versa. Mm. Uh, the bars downtown were mostly white. Mm -hmm. um, um, but you know, we had our little little cliques that went in and mixed with the white bars. Mm -hmm. um, um, the black bar was wonderful. Oh <laughs> my god. Um, what was the name of it again? E-Lights. E-Lights. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they had a DJ. His name was Danny. Uh, and I only know that because I still see him. Okay. Um, <laughs> his name is Danny. Yes, my name is Danny Harris. I'm 70 years old. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, but I'm in Boston most of my life. I used to go down to Dully and have lunch at this club because the owner's son was gay. Mm -hmm. And it was called um, the Station Cafe. Mm -hmm. the, the person who owned the, that space, they owned the jewelry store and the, and the bar space, had a gay son. I said, Paul, we got to open a gay club because this is ridiculous, you know, the way they treat us there. And he said, sure, let me talk to my father. Mm -hmm. So he opened the bar to, to gay people. Mm -hmm. So they, um, so we opened E-Lights. Mm -hmm. What year was this? 1970. 1970 still. 1970. Uh -huh. It was e uh -huh. I think it was just on weekends uh, that it was gay. But, oh my goodness. What a time. Um... You know, because you, you want to be with your people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, so that was, I can't think of it without smiling mm -hmm. because it was so nice. Because they still, I bet you Mickey and them was talking about it. To the, mm -hmm. Did they talk about E-Lights? A little bit. Okay. A little bit. The people still talk about it. I don't know, it was just like one of those time things. It was just a time for that. And because it was the first and only big black gay club ever, mm. and it had booths. It had booths because it was a restaurant mm. with high booths. So each booth was separate. So I think the girls can, and it was dark. Mm. And it was two rooms. Okay, and I think one was the dance floor, and the other, place, the other one was all booths. So I think everybody had their own little, they could do their little carry ons in there. They could smoke, because back then everybody was getting high. It was no, it was no. Um, censoring of, of that, you know, mm -hmm. so people you, you, you smoke, you smoke cocaine. I think it was pre pre cocaine, big time. It wasn't yes. you know big thing, but they you know they had privacy mm -hmm. and nobody nobody um, was condescending or you know everybody just left you alone. Mm. And everybody just parted. And it was during the sexual revolution. Mm. People have sex with a doorknob if they look good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so did y'all ever go to E-Lights? Very rarely. Because no, um, we don't know right? Danny then. Oh, I knew Danny since I was a kid. You don't remember me, but I remember him. I had a crush on his sister, and he had a crush on my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, E-Lights was um, the place that you would go to. 
at the end of your night. Oh, you know? the late actually, night spot. Yes, and you actually had like a little, uh, 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 you go around the corner and it was after hours. <laughs> That was like a little private thing. The after the party, there was an after party, so that was that was the spot you would go to. You have to go to, go to Elite. You're trying to catch them just before they close, mm-hmm. right? And you would talk find to out. yeah, you talk to whoever and find out. Okay, we're well, gonna be in the warehouse over here in the South End, or we're gonna be you know wherever the spot was that they had secured for the after party. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a floating kind of thing, you know, different different mm-hmm. locations, different times. So yeah, those those were the the top clubs. Mm. Yeah. yeah, which one was y'all's favorite? My favorite. My favorite was Prelude. Mine too. Mm. Mine too. Prelude and Indigo. I I liked Prelude simply for the fact that when my family came to town and they wanted wanted to take me out and whatever, I could take them there. Yeah. What did the What oh. did Preludes look like on the inside? Oh, Preludes was very nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a <laughs> there was a um what do you call it the, a horse there. The, 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 the motorized horse where, where you yeah. like a horse like, like the bull yes what yes. at Prelude at Prelude at Prelude oh they had like a bull you can ride yeah. but it, it was it was so out of character to be in that bar because that bar was more like uh, on the high end kind of mm-hmm. elegant kind of style you know but the, the, the bull was like in the, in the back when you walk in you see you know well, you know, folks sitting around after um, after work's kind of crowd, you yeah, know, yeah. like you know, looking kind of polished and whatnot, sitting there, and you just step to the back a little bit, and it's like, Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the quick shift. Yes, <laughs> and, and that was so cool to me. Prelude was, was a, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful nice bar. bar. My you family know. was very happy. I couldn't have never taken them to the Saints. Oh no! Why not? Because no. It was, Saints was what you would actually call a dyke dyke bar, bar. Mm-hmm. and it was predominantly white women. White women. And, and to me, a lot of them were older, older. I used to wear plaid shirts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you used to wear plaid shirts? No, no. The jeans and the boots and the plaid shirts and the short cropped hair, kind of like motorcycle dykes. Well, there also was um, there was this distinction made between the real dykes um, and the political dykes because in the early 1970s Mm -hmm. practically every day in our meetings somebody was coming out it was like you know just uh, like trees falling in the forest except you could hear them (laughs) Um, and uh, and uh, and it was it was just this amazing phenomenon Um, and I remember one of my friends who had been a lesbian earlier uh, saying, you're not a dyke, you're a lesbian, you're a political lesbian. It, it was sometimes delineated by class to middle class, college educated types are not real and you didn't experience what we experienced. But yeah, that was the same, the same was like a woof. You know, that was a dyke bar. Mm. And the Saints scared me, and I had been out for like five or six years. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple of times, like you said, a couple of times when I first tried to go in there, I, because I was wearing what I was wearing, mm. they treated me very like, what are you doing in here? Yeah. Like, what do you want? And and in, in, the, in the case where, you know, when you're black, you're saying, oh, they treat me like this because I'm black. That's what I was thinking. What's up with this? And, you know, Sometimes it was just a matter of what you wore. Mm-hmm. I had a pair of overalls, motorcycle boots, leather jacket. 
And it was this mishmash, you know. I had Birkenstocks and flannel shirts, and would wear different things, try on these different identities. Um, and I don't think I was very conscious of what that, what any of that meant. <laughs> I had a pair of silver lame high tops, which I would sometimes wear, but they were really uncomfortable to dance in. <laughs> that was my main bar. Mm -hmm. The Saints. The Saints. It was mostly white, but not entirely. What did the Saints look like on the inside? The Saints was, um, when you first walked in, there was the bar. And it had a long bar on one side and it had tables on the other side. And then there was a, a second room in the back. Um, so it was a decent sized bar. And uh, in the back it had booths and a dance floor and a little stage. I loved that dance space. Um, and they would either have um, had live music, um, a fair amount, and then had it, uh, sometimes would have a DJ or ju just a jukebox. The women's music m movement was erupting at that time, and so people would come through town, they'd have a concert, and then they'd show up at the bar and they'd sing some more. So I heard Chris Williamson and some of these other people that, you know, younger people haven't heard about, but um, they were heroines to us. <laughs> uh, and I really enjoyed hanging out there. The Saints was run by a co-op. I think there was four of them. And Mary uh, used to handle the door and um, make sure that everybody that came in was going to be chill, understood that it had to be chill. And they would put women out, you know, for getting too drunk or starting to ruckus. You know, they were very good about that. They policed that place really tight. Mm. Um, how to describe that neighborhood? It was almost like in the back of a warehouse. Um, on the front side, not where the bar was, there was a bunch of small nightclubs, bars, restaurants, and right on the edge of what was then the financial district. Mm. And the Saints was around the back of that block. So you had to go around the back and come in the back, and the Saints was on the back side. Um, so you, it was dark. Um, it was always a little scary because we knew men hung out there to harass the you know, gay women and such. And um, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a parking lot. You know, you had to park where you could find parking and then make that walk. A lot of people really didn't drink that much there that I knew, because I was there on the weekends. The people who were there every night were <laughs> probably more seriously involved. But um, There was one thing that, that the women at the Saints used to do I thought was brilliant. Because men would come in to harass us, and when that would happen, Every woman in the place, it didn't matter if you hated her or loved her or whatever, every single woman in the place would turn around and face this dude and just hiss. <laughs> it, would, it would freak them out. It would fucking freak them out with good reason, too. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you got a hundred women glaring at you and hissing. That's terrifying. <laughs> it was terrifying. <laughs> and it worked. They would go, and they'd be steady backing up out the door. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah.
the saints was welcoming in that any if you were a woman didn't have to be gay if you were a woman you were welcome if you didn't drink you were welcome and they had decent sized soft drinks um, to encourage people not to drink if they didn't want to uh, a lot of nuns used to hang out in there um, nuns. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, and the soft drinks were cheap too. They weren't the same prices. The, uh, as like in the bars now, mm. you pay six dollars for a soft drink. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was very liberating. I mean, you know. And one of the things I think that's really, really important about the bars because I came, I have to say, from a very middle class environment that uh, it was at the bars where, and a very white environment also, if I had just gone in my straight academic world, would have been really hard. I just wouldn't have happened for the most part. So that was one place where um, there were, uh, there was an opportunity really to meet people from lots of different backgrounds. At the same, there really weren't that many women of color, just a handful of us, who would come with any regularity. And then there were a couple of other neighborhood bars in Roxbury and Dorchester that were little hole-in-the-wall joints that were basically straight bars that would have one evening when all the black women would just take over the bar for a few hours. So they weren't gay bars per se. And there was this class divide. The saints, the people who ran the saints, were um, lesbian feminists who really had working class back roots and backgrounds. But the clientele of the bar was uh, much more middle class than they were even. Um, and the black women, Latino women, very, very few Asian women, were all, like me, college-educated, on the more middle-class side. And so the black working-class and the Latino working-class would hang out in these hood bars mm -hmm. and at house parties. So, that, so there was a big, big, big divide around class and race, um, class, race, and ethnicity. Um, what were some of the, the hood bars that they would go to, the names of them? Do you remember? One, one was called Smokey's. Mm -hmm. That's the one I went to most often. It was in what's now the Grove Hall section. It's, it was Grove Hall back then, but it was different. It was much grungier, much grungier. <laughs> um, so I would go to Smokey's, um, and I knew a few people who went to Smokey's, so I didn't feel like I was walking in by myself because... There was all this turf stuff and all this butch femme rivalry and are you looking at my woman, I'm gonna fuck you up kind of shit. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it wasn't necessarily safe for me with my college educated light skinned ass to just breeze in any place I wanted and think that I was gonna be cool. Um, there was another bar down the road called Somewhere, not too far, and it was more relaxed, younger and, and uh, you go in the door and there's a bar to your left. There's uh, some pool tables, I think, and a little stage had live music there now and again. And then you go upstairs to go dancing. There were two floors. 
and above in that bill, same bill was the, was the hot tubs and stuff for men. They were above that. So there were, but this was the lesbian bar, packed. Everybody was there, but nobody really knew it was there except if you were a lesbian, and then you know it was there because during the day it was something else. I remember one night, it was one of the scariest things that ever happened was I was in somewhere and I wasn't gigging that night, I was just hanging out. And I went to the restroom. And the restroom was downstairs, so you had to stand in line as usual. And there was a line, you know, because it was like a Saturday night. And there was a line to the ladies' room. And I was standing in line. And all of a sudden, the woman in front of me turned around and just slapped me right across the face, completely out of the blue. She was drunk off her keister. And as soon as she slapped me, the white women around me grabbed me as if I had hit her. And they were wrestling me to the ground. And I was in this sea of white women struggling. And it was terrifying because I was completely alone, completely alone. And this was a place that I considered safe. And now all of a sudden, just like that. And then finally, another white woman who was like a couple she was somewhere in the melee, I don't know where, but she was screaming, no, she, let her go, let her go. She didn't do anything, let her go. And I could hear her voice as I'm fighting them off and they're fighting to pin me down. Um, she kept screaming, let her go. She didn't do anything. This woman hit her, she didn't hit anybody because they had automatically assumed I had hit her instead of what happened was she hit me. And um, it, was, it was very terrifying, and it made me feel like there was no place I was going to be safe. Well, I kind of knew that anyway, but it just drove it home. Yeah. But it was, it was so frightening to just be assaulted and then be assaulted again, mm -hmm. you know? And so I decided that I wasn't going to take that line down. At the time, there was a newspaper in Boston, uh, Gay Community News, um, and I wrote a broadside to the Gay Community News. I described what happened. I talk about. I talked about the racism, and I said, "I want an apology from the owners of that club. I want a public apology," and it created a firestorm. Well, that, I, I don't believe that that, that, that couldn't happen to me. Well, uh, yeah, that could happen, because let me tell you what happened to me. And it ended up, we had this public forum meeting at somewhere. Mm -hmm. Sisters came out in droves, white women came out to protest. No, we're anti-racist, you know. <laughs> and it was heated. Oh, my God, it was heated. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I want damned apology. I'm not playing. And I got the apology. Good. I got the apology, and the owners of the club wrote to Gay Community News and wrote an apology, and the, and the paper published it. Um,
young lesbian feminists like I was um, had plenty of rules about how you challenged stereotypes around women um, and tried to bust myths about what you could do not just wearing pants but fixing cars or being plumbers or you know being non-traditional in the kinds of work you did um, as well as how you presented yourself um, and the rules that we had really excluded people identifying as femme because that reinforced some of these stereotypes that we felt played into uh, women as second-class citizens. No lipstick, no long hair, really. I mean, there were no dresses. This sounds strange, I know, to <laughs> some people. <laughs> but yes, we enforce those rules. So then would you say that... Um lesbian feminists were mostly butches or like leaning more towards the butch no, thing? No, we were, no. I think we didn't have that as an identity. Mm. We had lesbian feminists as an identity. <laughs> so there were people who would adorn and take on these these identities, but... If the woman brought you a drink, you were hers for the night. Oh, yeah? And, and I just did not go along with that. Yeah. I buy you a drink, fine. Keep I brought you a drink. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're going home. I just brought you a drink. That's all that was it. Exactly. You know, and... Uh, follow them around all night. Follow them around all night. Mm-hmm. Follow me around all night. I couldn't talk to this one because they just brought me a drink. I just couldn't understand the way they felt about that. That, that just, just blew my mind. So okay, so you were kind of like high film, and people were didn't know how to deal with you. They didn't really you. know how to approach me. Mm. Most of the time, they didn't want to stay with me because they because of uh, she keeps blaming me for that. <laughs> and, you know, it, was, it wasn't even really like that. I was just like, don't mess with her. And and as far as um, don't do anything to hurt you or to upset or offend you, but not you know like. Around. Oh, so, but what about you, Mickey? How did you pick up people? Ooh, how did I pick up people? Yeah. That was the most brazen fool you've ever seen. So I remember walking up to this bar one time. I gotta tell you, this this is a story. This is a story. This is a, this. Is a, Helen knows this story because I have confessed this story. <laughs> <laughs> we went to this bar. I might not tell you the first part of it. No, but. We went to, um, we were going out to this bar, 1270. 1270. Was, it was 1270 Boylston Street, okay? Mm-hmm. And Lots of people talk about 1270. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I took one of my brothers there and he came out. He told me the next year that he was gay, you know. Um, <laughs> what are you going to do? 1270 was the one with multiple floors. And, and on, on the, 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 the rooftop, the rooftop. If you went in the summertime, what a spectacular oh, spot! Oh yeah, they had they had um, like a little uh, barbecue grill set up, and you know you could just sit back there, and just yeah. really enjoy yourself. Four o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. anytime, enjoy yourself. Right up get, on a, the roof. get a burger right off the grill. Mm-hmm. You know it, that was a really com- comfortable place to be. That was on the Fenway. Yeah, on the Fenway. Yeah, yeah. Twelve seventy. 
007. And a friend of mine who I had just kind of met and we were kind of, you know, I was flirting with this person. And she was a singer and she was singing at the 1270 that night. Okay? So we were going, and my girl, my girl P, she, um, she was like my backup to this day. <laughs> I told her, I said, look, me and Helen is going out to the club and I'm here to see the singer. Okay? And the singer's looking around and looking for me. Um, I gotta get Helen situated before I can go upstairs. And get Helen all situated and make sure I got her something to eat so I know she'll be down there for a while. <laughs> Strategy. So, so, so I'm down there, and I, I said, okay. I told P. I said, I'm, I'm going upstairs. And she said, okay, baby, okay. I said, just, you know, just, you know, make it so obvious, but keep her down here till I, you know, say hi, and she starts to set or whatever, and I can come back down. Okay. So I get ready to go upstairs, and something catches my eye over in the corner. <laughs> Mickey, <laughs> two's not enough. <laughs> You're not juggling enough right now. Someone else caught your eye. <laughs> it was Chris. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> she understands. Exactly. Man, that was a woman. Ooh, honey, <laughs> this child had on a black dress that was tailored to her physique, mm. and her physique was like. Boom, 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 boom. I was like, I, 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 cannot, I cannot go. I cannot go upstairs right now. I have to know her name. I have to get her number before I even go upstairs. Okay? So, I go over there. The girl had ordered a, um, a hamburger. So, she gets ready to bite. She's like, she's like, she was hungry. She's getting ready to bite into the burger. I said, oh, that looks so good. Corny as hell. She turned around, she gave me a dirty look. I said, oh my goodness, I said, that looks so good. I said, can I have a bite? She was rolling her eyes, she was like, she just took the burger, she said, boom, and pushed the burger in my face. (laughs) (laughs) I busted out laughing so hard. I said, no, not that burger, that's not what I was talking about. <laughs> she just put her head down and started laughing. I said, go on and enjoy your burger. I'm going to come back and get your number in a little while. And then you walked away? Yep. Oh, my God. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And you got the number. Hell, yeah. <laughs> 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 okay. Honey, honey, I didn't have to all together. I just, I just had to secure it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, know, people would have said it was more butch, but I I think it was like more androgyny, a lot of my friends and stuff. It was more that Mm -hmm. for us. Like, give me a rundown of, like, what a normal weekend would have been in, like, the late 80s for you. Oh like, God. where would you have yeah. from, like, where do you start? Thursday nights at the 1270, because that was gay night. So, and that was super fun, because it was like, it was like the Rock Against Sexism crew. So, 
you would have people spinning music there who were like progressive. The music was, at the time, they called it alternative, right? So mm. it was like soft punk kind of. So we'd go to the 1270, and then that would be Thursday nights on Boylston Street. And then we would go to Spit on Lansdowne. Um, which is like where the House of Blues is now. Mm. Um, Spit uh, was, I guess it was, Spit was a night at Avalon, and I guess it was, maybe that was Friday nights. And then Saturday nights we go to Indigo or somewhere else. I, I guess Spit was a little bit later, but it, then it was maybe Indigo or somewhere else, one or the other. We called it somewhere. And then uh, Sunday night would be campus in Cambridge, in Central Square. Yeah, Thursday. Yeah, we were out four nights a week. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's right. <laughs> Religiously. That's right. Every week. Nice, nice. Or at least, you know, or maybe some weeks we only were out two nights, but we were, it was, yeah. First time at the bar. First time at the bar would be Indigo, Club Indigo. Okay. It was located in Cambridge on Main Street. So basically it was a jazz club, but they had, on the weekends, they had, I guess, drag night or lesbian night. or I'm not sure what they called it, but yeah. So I went every weekend. Mm. Every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday for brunch. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. The full weekend. The full weekend. <laughs> the full four-day weekend. <laughs> I don't even remember how I learned of the the, uh, the club existence, but I remember the first time I went, I was scared out of my mind. Um, I sat in the corner in the dark all night just watching, just getting a feel for what it meant to be in a gay bar. So I just watched everything and everybody. Um, kind of hesitant about going back the next time, but as I kept going, I, it, it became like home. When was this in, like, the 80s, the 70s? This was in the 80s, very late okay. 80s. Late 80s. Like, 88. Thanks. How, how old were you? <laughs> um, the first time I went, I was uh, 19. So I wasn't really old enough to be there. That's kind of why I was probably quiet about it all. <laughs> I was just finishing up high school, mm-hmm. <laughs> applying to colleges, okay. um thinking I knew everything when I knew nothing. (laughs) Um, Just being young, just being young and carefree and and almost careless to to a degree. But yeah, just enjoying life, literally, and trying to navigate what it meant to be queer, especially a little black girl from Roxbury. Like, wasn't a whole lot of them. (laughs) It wasn't a whole lot of queer people in my path. And the first... I'd say 50 visits at least I went along purposely, yeah. 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 Um, but then I started to meet other people there, and then I started telling friends um, about it. And so some of my friends were like, well, yeah, I'll go. We, we can go. Let's go together. And even people that I met there, um, I just formed friendships. And yeah. um, I think that was one of the things that made me love going to Indigo, because once I realized I was not alone, then I made sure I was not alone. Like, yes. I made sure I was in the space, in the place to be. So, yeah. It, it became like home. It was it was my gym. It was, I met a lot of people. I still have friends to this day that I met at the club. So, 
you know, we're still friends to this day, so yeah. What did the bars mean to you, and why were they important to you? Uh, they, besides being the center of the universe, um, they, it was, you know, I got to dance, and I got looked at, and I, um, I got taken care of, not just by Anne, I mean, you know, you got taken care of, and it was, I was young, and I was scared, um, and so it was home, you know, you went into the bar, and, you know, I mean, it was scary because it was sexual, and the sexual stuff was scary to me, that's just a really a personal thing, um, I, this is gonna, I didn't know how cute I was. I didn't understand sexual relations. Um, I didn't know what people wanted from me. And, you know, I, I don't know how to explain. I mean, there was, you didn't see sex in the movies. You didn't, you didn't hear swear words. You know, people didn't say fuck or shit or damn. You know, if you said damn, you know, it was like, the end of the world, you know. Um, I mean, <laughs> so I had no sexual experience, no kind of understanding of this kind of stuff, and that went on for a lot of my time. And so there was, it was hard to be, you know, I, I told you before, I danced with my dear friend, you know, um, and that's what I did. So, it was it was everything to be in the bar you know it wasn't about drinking for me it was everything to be in the bar and dance have a place move around people would look at me you know and scare me but i didn't touch them you know i'm possibly the only human being who was celibate for two and a half years two and a half years in my early 20s i was scared so the bar was this incredibly safe place that you went to um, in this very weird way. It was the center of the universe. There were times on the ride home, you know, at 2 in the morning after we just left the club, I'm singing church songs, and I would get the whole car going, and we're all singing church songs. And, you know, we're talking A, but now this is the 80s, so, you know, you know, minivans was a thing. The mom minivan was a thing. My friend drove a minivan. We all packed in this minivan, lapped up, singing all kinds of church songs, and we just left the club. Now, I know some people who hear this will say that's blasphemy and damn us all to hell, but we all had a familiar story. We all knew what it meant that even if we weren't verbally told, get out, we weren't welcome anymore once they found out. So the club became our home, our family, and in some way, our church. It was, it, it just all, it went together, hand in glove.
you know, um, after the Pulse shooting, we had a vigil in Jamaica Plain, and people were, were speaking about what it is to be, for many of us of my generation, growing up and what the bars were for us. And I guess still are for, for men, right? For gay men, you know, in large part. That they were like church, you know, like we went every week. That was a place where we communed with our congregation. It's a place where we felt safe to be ourselves. But it was, it was also the place where we all drank. So a lot of us became drunks, you know, and a lot of us learned how to not be drunks. And, you know, but we had to negotiate that because alcohol was a big part of our experience. I feel like a lot of times when we were doing this work, some folks ask us, like, when are you opening your bar? Mm. And to which I respond, is that what we need to open? Like, is that the space that we need? Like, I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot lost with, with like, bars. And, yeah, the amount of, like, abuse, not abuse, oh, I guess substance abuse is what I'm talking about. Like, you know, drinking and drugs and stuff that, like, we, can we build community and that doesn't center that is the question that I always have. I think the key thing is that the bars were where you had your life. It really was. When you came out, you went straight to the bars. You know, that's where you met your girlfriends. That's where you broke up. That's where you got together. That's where you met your friends. I mean, it really was where we had our lives for a very long time. And then, you know, you get older and get tired of going out, <laughs> you know, you outgrow that. But it was such a critical thing, um, and especially in the context where it was still illegal to be gay. At least it's not illegal. They're working on making it that way again. Um, so I think that, that would actually be the core thing. That's really where our lives occurred for many of us. And for the generation before us, all their lives occurred there. The generation before us, our generation, um, mostly got married, stayed married, um, lived lives of quiet desperation, snuck out on the side, had their relationships on the side, and it was much more fractured. We at least had a little more coherence. Um, and I think that was one of the things that allowed us to start fighting and coming out in public saying, yeah, here I am, here I stand. But bars were, that's where we had our lives. It was that important. Yeah, and, and just seeing the, you know, that there were, that there actually were a lot of lesbians in, in, in Boston. I mean, you know, again, this was a time in which we were much more invisible than we are now. Uh, and where gay pride marches were much smaller than they are now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was... And it was space. I mean, it was a woman's space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, really important and not very easy to find. So, you know, and like I said, I mean, the early day, the, it, it was also a, a place where, like the early days of the uh, women's music scene, got its legs a lot. It, it really was, it was very important for that.
Yes, I felt like it was like they they provided um, a kind of lodestone for the women's community, and also like a touch a touchdown across the country of places. You know, you would say, "Well, um, I'm going to Denver. What to do in Denver? We'll find the women there." And uh, it it made it um, very meaningful to. To, to recognize that we are everywhere. It was a thrill to me to see that. Oslo, Norway, you know. These women from Copenhagen who came and took care of me. Um, I, I feel blessed by that kind of community. Yeah, it was good. It was good, it was good. <laughs> so. Thank you so much to all of our generous interviewees in Boston. We really appreciate the kindness and warmth with which we were received in the bitter cold. And the time is coming. Alleged lesbian activities will be in Boston so soon, in just a couple of weeks. We'll be there April 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th in collaboration with the Theater Offensive. So please check out our website, lastcallnola.org, for more information and ticketing information. This project was created in partnership with the New Orleans LGBT Center and Alternate Roots through an Alternate Roots Partners in Action grant and through a network of ensemble theaters Net 10 Exchange grant. Additional funding from the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation. Last Call is fiscally sponsored by the National Performance Network. Uh, love you, Free. I love you, Lane. And you know, dear listener, we love you too. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. We only have one message to leave you with. And that is, until next time, stay, stay gay. gay.